Welcome. Hello. Hello. It is so good to see you again. It is so good to see you again. I am so glad. It's been too long. Five minutes. Really? What do they expect of us? Darling. <laughs> Darling. Welcome to episode four of Gals mm -hmm. and Gore. I'm Scotty. And I'm Alyssa. Uh, and today we're back with another scary story for you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I told you the other day, like, my kids are just so fucking mean to me. I mean, they're four and one. So what am I supposed to do when they get older? Like, I just know that whenever I get to be, like, an old bitch, they're just going to kill me. And then, like, release wild cats into my house and let them eat my dead body. Well, if that does happen, I promise that I'll do a podcast episode about your death. Thank you. Oh, my God. Thanks. That's so sweet. That's so nice. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm just kidding. My kids are really sweet. Just mean to me sometimes, most of the time. It's a phase, right? <laughs> Yeah, just wait until they're teenagers, then they're really sweet. Well, yeah, I'm fucking horrified and terrified of that. Because I know that I was, a, like, literally, I was Lucifer when I was a teenager, so. <laughs> you know, I liked my emo music, and I like to, to go in there and, like, brush my hair over my eyes and <laughs> make my room really dark and write letters to boys um, <laughs> that I was never going to send. <laughs> yeah, we were complete That's what opposites. I did, and my parents made me mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we met in college, because... <laughs> <laughs> no, we wouldn't have been friends. No, probably not. But, you know, we had a good run. We had a good time. We had a good run. It was nice. <laughs> Best friendship ever. <laughs> Our friendship is the best. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's the, the best there's ever been. Best. Yeah. The best. Nothing can beat it. I know all about friendships. <laughs> Nobody knows more about friendships than me. Uh, yes. And ours is huge. We have a huge friendship. Oh, it's so big. Oh, my God. Tell me what you got for me this week, girl. Okay, girl. Well, I thought that since it's hotter than orangutan tits outside, I would give you something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's so. talk about murder. Yeah. Okay, so I thought that since it was hotter than orangutan tits outside... I would give you something that would, like, really light a fire up your ass. So, I hope you're ready. Really? Yeah. You're not going to cool me off? <laughs> nope. You're going to mm -hmm. light a fire. Okay. Girl, this case is not only going to piss you off, but it's going to scare you. Because it scared the fuck out of me. And, you know. I don't want to be scared and pissed off. Well, you will. So, grab your Depends and let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Grab those strap in and strap on. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Okay, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about you telling a story because I love when you tell stories. So one of my favorite things. Yeah. So this case is actually one that I stumbled upon whenever I had searched a couple of weeks ago for like most horrifying murders in history. Today I'm gonna tell you about the Cheshire Murders. Okay. All right. Cheshire, Connecticut is known for being a close-knit community with, like, beautifully landscaped lawns, attractive homes. I mean, basically the perfect place to raise a family. That is, though, until 2007, whenever this picturesque community became known for the slaughtering of a mother and her two young daughters. All three of them? All three of them. So, before I really dive into the case, I need to tell you a little bit about the family. In 1985, William Pettit Jr., also known as Bill, met his wife Jennifer while he was doing rotations as a third-year med student at the hospital where she worked as a nurse. So, Ooh, 
Okay, so they're so cute. He instantly, like, fell in love with her, tried to impress her by being a complete and total know-it-all dick. Like, I know that's how my husband snagged me. It sounds like such a man thing to do, though, right? Like Such a guy she, thing. Which I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But she was obviously a lot better person than me because she was actually super patient with him. Um, even though she knew he was doing everything he was showing her completely wrong. Oh, so he was like one of those mansplainers. Mm-hmm, yeah. But not only was An she super one. patient with him, she showed him the correct way to do it. I mean, come on. Can these two get any cuter? Like, right? They sound like like a couple straight out of like a J Lo and Matthew McConaughey movie. He sounds like he would have been a horrible doctor if she wouldn't have come along. (laughs) Exactly. Like (laughs) they needed each other, obviously. And the community needed them to come together, or else (laughs) there was going to be a lot of malpractice. Yes. It was was serendipity. That's it. Jennifer was a pediatric nurse, and Bill went on to specialize as an endocrinologist. And they were eventually married and went on to have two girls, Haley and Michaela. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I really want you to know how special this family was because they were just like, I don't even know how else to describe them other than special, but in the best way, like not in the hinter Kaifak way. Okay, so they were, like, special in the good way, not in yeah. the creepy way. Right, and if you don't know what we're talking about, you guys need to go back to episode one and two and listen to those, because you'll know exactly what we're talking about. So they're special, they're happy, yeah. everybody's good. Sounds yes. beautiful. Yeah. So Jennifer was unfortunately diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and Haley mm. at the time was only nine, But even at nine years old, she was determined to help her mom in any way she could. So she wrote letters to family and friends and asked them to sponsor her for the Connecticut MS Walk. And she named the team Haley's Hope for her mom. So sweet. I I know. I know. And every year for seven years, she walked for her mom, raising over $55,000 for the fight against MS. Wow way to go right like this girl has accomplished way more in her short years of life than I have in my 29 so you go girl you go girl you're amazing yeah for sure and then her little sister Michaela planned to take over whenever Haley was going to go to her dad's alma mater in the fall of 2007 yeah so they were like tag teaming it they were really taking care of mom yeah for sure all right so sweet yeah All right, so before I even get into the case, I need you to know about the two men who committed these horrific crimes, Joshua Kumshargensky and Stephen Hayes. Hmm, an unseeming pair. Yes, and since his last name is a literal tongue twister for this southern gal, I am just going to call him Josh or Joshua throughout the episode. That's perfectly acceptable because... That's a long one. You have an affinity for <laughs> hard to pronounce names. I know. I it's a fetish. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Josh and Steve come from different backgrounds, but they're both complete pieces of shit. And I mean that in the most horrible way. Josh was reported to be intelligent, and I am like giving air quotes right now to you because intelligent but how smart can you be to be in and out of jail for regular burglary charges i mean like about 18 times oh my gosh that's not even a few that's quite right quite a few right like you're not that intelligent if you keep getting caught dude just saying yeah who knows how many times you did it without getting caught right true i didn't even think about that Josh actually had a daughter who was born in 2002, and he gained full custody of her in the spring of 2007. His girlfriend was actually in rehab from a drug addiction. And on top of all of that, a lot of people reported that Josh liked younger-looking girls, and an ex-girlfriend's father even considered him to be a pedophile because of his taste in younger-looking women. Ew. Yeah. That just sounds so nasty and wrong yeah he's gross he's disgusting and you'll so you'll grow to hate him was younger 
She was a little bit younger, but not much. She just looked a lot younger. Okay, gotcha. Right. And you'll grow, trust me, you'll grow to hate him and Stephen Hayes throughout this case. I mean, with like an, just a fire a in your, passion. yeah, you will hate them so much. So, the hatred of a thousand sons. Yes, exactly. Just like it feels in Texas right now. Yeah, in Louisiana, because I'm pretty sure that I have yet another burnt frog on my front porch. Yeah. And he is just out there. Burnt to a crisp. Yeah, he was chilling, and the sun was like, not today. <sighs> Got him. He's dead. He's literally, like, he could be a chip. A frog chip. <laughs> oh, my favorite Louisiana frog chip. Mm-hmm. Patting that. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Check. Done. Next. <laughs> okay, so. Next, we have Stephen Hayes who is the other perp, okay? And he was reportedly manipulative from a very young age, and his younger brother claimed that he was violent, once taunting him by pressing a revolver against his head. Normal sibling stuff? Totally Totally. normal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, like, one source reported that Hayes was controlling and had a way of passing the blame for his bad behavior onto others, But he would often claim that he was suffering from psychological problems. But his family was skeptical. They would say, he's not sick. He's just cunning and calculating. Which sounds like, to me, like they're in complete fucking denial. Because let me tell you something. If Sage or Evie were to ever fucking point a gun at each other, we'd be taking a family trip to Shutter Island. Book us a family suite. I'll help you get the airfare, girl. Thank you. Unless they're just, like, very aware that this guy is a total sociopath. They're like, yeah, we know, like, he might be saying that he's psychologically upset or whatever, but we know that he's really just super manipulative and cunning because he is a sociopath. Right, but his family refused to get him help. They refused to get him mental help. Sociopath or not, it does sound like he needed a really good counselor. Right. I agree. And then, in 1992, Hayes had a daughter, and the woman that he had a daughter with, they were married, but then they got divorced, and the daughter lived with her mom, but saw her dad weekly. But she really never had anything bad to say about her dad. She said he treated her well, she never saw any violent streaks, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Yeah. Which is interesting to me. Right. Yeah. Interesting to me, though, because I do think that we group people into these little boxes. You know, like criminals, they're all, they're all one thing, we think. But, you know, people are like onions. Because like, isn't it crazy, though, like the BTK killer, he had all these different parts of his life, and then he had this one horrific part. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of serial killers and people who, like, commit horrific crimes like no one would have ever known they look completely normal on the outside right and like to your daughter you might be a great person but to somebody else you might be disgusting and sick or their murderer right and that's scary to me that makes this case so much scarier the fact that both of these men had daughters right and that they just seem like normal people and the fact that the other guy had custody of his daughter it's like his daughter was with him all the time Mm-hmm. Ugh. Mm-hmm. So yes, weird. ma'am. So, Stephen and Josh met in 2006 when they shared a room in a halfway house in Hartford, Connecticut, between their prison sentences. Now, by the age of 26, Josh had been arrested for 18 home invasions, and he struggled with a crystal meth addiction, obviously. Once you see him, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. He just looks like he's seen a ghost. I don't know what other way to put it. Straight from a Henry James novel, he looks like he is, like, (laughs) terrified. Now, Hayes... (laughs) Now, Hayes was a recovering crack addict, and he also had a habit of breaking into cars during the day. Like, dude, you have to have some big-ass balls to break into someone's shit during the fucking day. (laughs) Like... Yeah, unless you're, like, the king of making serious diversions. Which I don't think he was. The two were both serving sentences for burglary, and they were paroled in April 2007. 
And like I said, they met in a shared room in a halfway house. Okay, but after their time in the halfway house, Hayes moved in with his mother in Connecticut and uh, Josh returned home to Cheshire where the actual murders took place. Gotcha. Yeah. So after the halfway house, they, you know, they still stayed in touch though. And not surprisingly, neither one had a steady job and they both really needed money. Josh's supposed girlfriend had moved in with her family to Arkansas and he was like determined to make enough money to get her back to Connecticut so they could begin a new life together. Like unlikely dude, but good try. Um, whatever. Yeah. And Josh had gotten in touch with Hayes about a way to make some fast and easy cash. Okay, if I ever contact you about fast and easy cash, just hang up on me because obviously I am on crystal meth and I'm want to do some bad shit. They were trying to fucking burgle some houses. Hamburglar. That's such a funny word, burgle. Burgle, burgle like the hamburglar. Hamburglar, right? Is that what he was? Hamburglar. Yeah. He was the hamburglar. Okay, I just looked at pictures of these guys and this guy looks like he stuck his finger in an electrical socket. <laughs> Exactly how, yeah, like I told you straight out of a Henry James novel, like fucking running for his life. Like, <laughs> he looks both in pain and surprised. <laughs> exactly. A hard combo to pull off. But he does it, he well. Does it well. He does it well. <laughs> you know, we said this at the same time. He does it well. Pinch well, poke. You owe me a coke, bitch. Not on your life. <laughs> okay. Anywho, he was like, hey, dude, want to make some fast and easy cash? Hayes was like, yeah, absolutely. So, Josh took Hayes along with him to break into a home. And Josh broke into the home while Hayes waited outside. He reportedly just wanted Mm -hmm. to show Hayes how easy it was that he could break into a house and not get caught. And then... (laughs) Even though he'd gotten caught 18 (laughs) times before. (laughs) Perfect. Right. Great. Right. So these two are like literal, um, what's those guys' names from Home Alone? Um, Marv and Harry. They're, they're, these guys are like modern day Marv and Harry's. Yeah. Yes. What did he call himself? The Water Bandits? I don't even know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but these two are, yeah, the, the Water Bandits. And not to modern. make light of their. Not to make light of their crimes, because what they did was so horrific and disgusting, but they were just not, obviously not very bright. Not very good at it. Yeah. And so, when realizing that they didn't get caught this time, Hayes was, like, completely sold. He was like, hell yeah, dude, let's do it. So. Let's ride. Yeah. We ride at midnight, (laughs) like these guys. (laughs) We ride at dawn. Oh, yeah. We ride I guess if you're burgling people, I guess if you are breaking into people's houses, you should be riding at midnight. This is not a how-to. I repeat, this is not a (laughs) (laughs) how-to. On the night of the 22nd, okay, and these texts will become incriminating and important, okay? On the night of the 22nd, around 7.45, Hayes texted Josh saying, We still on? Question mark. Josh said, Yes. Hayes said, soon question mark josh said i'm putting the kids to bed hold your horses and Hayes said dude the horses want to get loose lol (laughs) oh wow yeah and honestly i don't know what he was talking about like what his nerves are like i don't know what are the kind of horses he's speaking on but honestly don't want to know the wild wild west of connecticut (laughs) yeah All them crazy horses. Now we can talk about the case. Okay. All right. So on the afternoon of Sunday, July 22nd, 2007, Jennifer Pettit and her sweet, sweet 11-year-old daughter, Michaela, went to a local grocery store that they normally went to in their hometown of Cheshire, Connecticut. Okay. Michaela supposedly wanted to make a meal that night. She wanted to cook. For her family, mm-hmm. and they were just gonna have a nice so Sunday sweet. in. Right, so sweet. Yeah. 
While they were getting groceries, they had caught the attention of a predator named Joshua Kumsharjevsky, who patiently waited till they were done getting their groceries and then followed them home. You know, that's like every woman's fear right now, how they're all like, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I'm getting followed in the grocery store. Yeah. This is real. Right. I know. And honestly, I thought somebody was following me in the grocery store one time, and I turned around and yelled at them, and it turns out that they were just looking for peanut butter. So, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm going to give a shout out to Crime Junkie, because they always say, be weird, be rude, stay alive. And that has been my motto from the get-go. Yeah, even if you suspect someone is following you and you turn around and you're like, get the fuck away from me. Um, Yeah. The worst that can happen is that they're not following you and you just offended someone. Yeah, and this person, they were super butthurt. But I was like, do you need something? And they were like, "Um, I'm looking for the peanut butter. And I was like, Sure you are. Stay away from me and my kid. And I, like, (laughs) walked away. And then I saw this man went. Peter Pan peanut butter. Yeah, and then later on I saw this man went meet his elderly father in the front. So I was like, wow, I'm a big asshole. But (laughs) He was was trying to just get some peanut butter for his pawpaw. Yeah. And you just yelled at him. That poor man. And if you you know me, you know that I'm a loud I talk loudly, so I was very loud. Like, people in the salad aisle turned around, and they were like, <gasps> and I looked at wow. him like, mm-hmm, keep your eye out. He's looking. That's impressive. The salad <laughs> aisle is very far away. So, yeah, if you like true crime, Crime Junkie. Crime Junkie. Podcast. Oh, so good. Such a good What is it? Be rude? Be loud? Be, no, be weird, be rude, stay mm. alive. Crime junkie, give them a listen, for sure. Yes, love them. Love them so much. All right. So, like I told you, it was, you know, reported that up until this incident, the Sunday had been typical for the Pettit family. Michaela made dinner. Jennifer and her girls watched TV in the living room. And then Bill, like a typical dude, fell asleep on the couch in the sunroom. After a two-hour trip to the toilet, just like all dads. <laughs> yeah. But little did they know, they were about to meet two men that would horrifically change their lives forever. Mm. I know. Ugh, it's horrible. It's so scary thinking about just, like, sitting with your family on the couch, watching TV and, and everything just getting ripped apart in, like, a matter of seconds. Right. I know. I can't, and you know me, I'm, like, super protective of my family, my kids, and, like, so whenever I was researching this case, again, I looked outside my door, we have, like, a little window pane, like, uh, stained glass, and I, like, looked outside about 60 times, like, looking down the street, like, mm-hmm, come for me, motherfucker, I know you're out there. It's that guy in Walmart, he's sneaking outside of your salad bar, <laughs> Yeah, so if y'all ever, anybody ever see, like, a five-foot-tall blonde woman with mixed kids, don't approach because she will get loud, and she is nuts, and that lady is me. So, like, I don't care who you are. Even if a lady's following me, I'm like, ma'am, please. Especially with this virus going on, I'm like, uh-uh, don't you step out once. space. I'd really do, though. <clears throat> Especially because my kids are I've definitely, so loud. I've definitely, like, picked up a can in an aisle and, like, had it in my hand. And I was like, if this person gets any closer to me, I'm just going to turn around and swing it at their head as hard as I can. <laughs> and, like, totally knock them out. Like, throw my purse at them, run over their toes with my cart. <laughs> like, whatever I can do, that's, like, the most painful thing I can think of. So, oh, you're yeah. violent. Just Always stay armed. Always. Yeah, no, I'm just super fucking paranoid, and <laughs> my kids are my kids are more violent than I am, so it's really them you gotta watch out for, especially yeah, since the last time we were in Walmart, Evie told everybody that she loved her nipples, so <laughs> we really didn't have many people following us after that, so... 
So that night, supposedly, after discussing the plan, Hayes said that he was under the impression that the two of them would burglarize the house, take the family out to the car where they would be tied up, and then burn the house down to destroy any evidence left behind. So he did not think that anybody would get hurt. Like, sounds Mm -hmm. sketchy to me, but okay. Like, you burglarize a home where people are there, they're going to get hurt, right? Yeah, why wouldn't you wait until they were, like, on vacation, you know, like, case the house or something? Right. It just doesn't make any sense to me, but we'll get to that later. Um, So, after following Jennifer and Michaela home around 3 a.m. on July 23rd, Hayes and Joshua broke into the Pettit family home armed with a gun and a baseball bat that they found lying in a neighbor's yard. Oh. Okay. Right. Right. So a baseball bat, but nobody's supposed to get hurt. I get the gun because, you know, like a gun is scary. You point a gun at me. Yeah, you want to scare people. Right. It doesn't even have to be loaded. Not saying that that's okay, but like I get that. But a baseball bat, why would you pick that up? I mean, if somebody's coming to me with a baseball bat, I'm going to be pretty scared too. Absolutely, but I just don't see the point. Like, I just, you know, I think his stance on that nobody was supposed to get hurt is just bullshit. Right, yeah, and maybe they felt like they both needed to have a weapon. Maybe. To look legit, and they just found that and picked it up on the way. Or maybe it was just like a last-minute decision thing, and they saw it, and they were like, yeah, this would be great. Possibly. And you could be completely right, but... So, first they found Bill sleeping on the couch, and Joshua took the baseball bat and hit him about five or six times over the head, but while he's doing this, he tells Bill not to panic, because they only want money. And, like, sure, because <laughs> the first thing I do when someone's coming at me with a baseball bat is, like, not panic at all, like... And hitting you right. in the head. Right. Don't panic. I just want your money. Totally makes sense, right? I don't want to hurt you, but I'm going to bludgeon you yes. a few times. Yeah. It's not personal. Not personal at all. Like, yeah. Got it. Absolutely. So, while they're hitting him over the head, they ask him repeatedly where the safe was, but Bill just keeps saying, there's no safe, there's no safe at all. So, naturally, they tie his wrists and ankles together, and they leave him on the couch, bound and bleeding. And this incident sparked and spiraled into a seven-hour slew of torture for the Pettit family. Seven hours? Seven hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, actually, I do know about you, and I know about me. (laughs) Neither of us have safes. No. In our house. Like, if somebody came in and was like, where's the safe? I'd be like, I don't, I can't even buy a microphone for this podcast. Like, there's no safe. (laughs) There's no I'd be like, There's no hidden treasure in this house. I'd be like, I have some really good-looking fake jewelry on my nightstand if you want to grab it. I mean. <laughs> some peasant jewelry, if you will. Oh, back to Hinterkaifeck, episode one and two. <laughs> that was a subtle plug. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, seriously. I mean, if you don't have a safe, you don't have a safe. I mean, this guy's being beaten with a baseball bat. If he had a safe... He'd probably tell you where the safe is. Yeah, unless you smashed his mouth in and then he can't talk. Like, I really do see their, like, logical failings here because, you know, it would make sense to threaten him and then ask him where the safe is, not to just start beating him and also asking him where is the safe while they're beating him. You beat him, then you ask him questions. Yeah, like, give me a chance to answer before you start beating me. Right, like, can I please, like, have one chance? Jesus Christ. Can I phone a friend? Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where am I? I to... Can we ask the audience? Like, I'm not really laughing at what happened, but... I'm not laughing at what happened. We're not laughing at what happened, but I just but think that... we're laughing that... at ourselves. No, we're really laughing at these guys because, like, what they did was just so idiotic and just so horrible... And completely, and like... needless. Ugh. Yeah, and just not thought through. Like... No. Not at all. Agreed. And so, next, Terrible. they went upstairs where they found Jennifer, the mom, in bed with Michaela, the youngest. 
Okay, they tied Jennifer's mm-hmm. wrists and ankles to the bedpost and put a pillowcase over her head. Okay. Which, okay. for me, if you are tying a woman to the bedpost, wrists and ankles, there's going to be some sort of sexual assault involved, right? Yes, as a woman, if I'm being attacked and I get tied to a bed, I'm going to expect something bad to happen in the way of sexual trauma, for sure. Right, rather than, like, just being tied, you know, like, at the wrists or, like, whatever, you know, but being tied to a bed. Yeah, like, they're not going to just, yeah, they're not going to just tie you up and then leave you alone. Right, and that's so traumatic. And then they dragged Michaela into her own bedroom and did the same to her as they did to her mom and then the same to her older sister in her room. And just like they told mm-hmm. Bill, they told Jennifer and the girls that they were not going to hurt them, but they only wanted money. Okay. So they went to find Bill, and they forced him down to the basement at gunpoint. And once in the basement, Bill was tied to a pole, they bound his ankles, and he was covered in blankets. How kind. <laughs> Just in case you get a little chilly in the, yeah. in the basement. It's kind of yeah. drafty down there. Right, like, okay, you guys, y'all are not making a lot. You guys are really, really getting this right. Y'all are killing it. You guys are really good at home invasion. Yeah, and then poor Bill, I mean, like, he was drifting in and out of consciousness, and, like, he had a lot of blood loss, so I just, this poor man. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So, after they tied Bill in the basement, tied him up in the basement, They went around completely trashing the house, going through everything, checking anywhere and everywhere that they thought money could be, but they didn't find any at all. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See? They sound like us. Right. Yeah. But this (laughs) is not us. They did find bank statements, which showed that the Pettits had about $30,000 in their bank account. Hmm. Right. Not us at all. But that's whenever um, Joshua and Hayes decided to change the plan. So they both decided that when the bank opened in the morning, at 9 in the morning, they would take Jennifer, or one of them would take Jennifer and force her to withdraw $15,000 from her account. Okay, because that's, that's not suspect. She's not definitely not going to look, she's not going to look traumatized or anything like that after she's been tied up all night. And then the bank's going to be like, so you need $15,000 in cash right now? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Can you even do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you can. They they yeah, did. It's your money. Yeah. Right. They so, did? They actually did it? <gasps> yeah, so bef- right before that, uh, Hayes drove to a gas station with two plastic gas cans he found at the home and filled them with gas, okay? Because remember, mm-hmm. they planned on setting the house to fire to get rid of any evidence. All right, and right. then he yes. drove back to the... Uh, the family home and he dropped off the gas cans and then took Jennifer to the bank like it's just some kind of like errand day all right he told her to go mm-hmm. into the bank withdraw the 15000 from her account and not to say anything okay. now Jennifer approached the bank teller leaned in and passed a note over to the counter that said that they were being held hostage but that the men were actually being nice and that they only wanted money okay Ah, uh, this woman, uh, gosh, I just feel so, she, poor thing, you know, she really did believe that they were just there for money and that they didn't want to hurt them, and so she was just doing what she was told because she didn't want her girls or her husband to be hurt. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that is also a super brave and smart move by her to, yeah, you know, write out a note and pass it to the teller and... Right. To try to get help, or at least to let somebody know about the situation, like, without being able to have been, you know, detected by them. For sure. I mean, absolutely. And the teller looked at the note, immediately gave it to the bank manager who ran into her office and called the police. And Jennifer... Right. And Jennifer left the bank, and um, her and Hayes, they drove back to the house. And, like, let me just say, like, wow, these gals seem to be like totally completely cool calm and collected in this situation and I would have been the complete Mm -hmm. opposite I would have been like 
if someone would have handed me a note at the bank saying they were being held hostage, I would have immediately been like, oh my God, girl, police, like, <laughs> call them, where they at, like, let's get them to get, like, this is, oh my God, I'd have been like, panic button, panic button, oh my gosh, you don't even know what's going to happen whenever you get into a situation like that, and I am like, I'm a freezer, like, when yeah, something bad happens, I just freeze, I can't do anything, like, I don't have a fight or flight sense. I just don't move. Like, I would totally have been eaten by now if I was an animal. So. And, yeah. And you and I. Way are to go, com- Jennifer. You and I are completely different because you freeze and I kind of, like, freak out like a disgruntled bird. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I would have definitely been, like, freaking out. And. Yeah, and I'd have just been staring at you. Right. Thanks so much for all your help. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, listen, if you're in an issue, if you have an issue, don't call me. Um, do not. Because it's really, yeah, I, I don't, I, there's not much I can do. Yeah, no. Poor thing. It's okay. Still love you. Well, way to go, Jennifer. I'm proud of her. I think oh, that was yeah. an awesome thing to do. Oh, way she's to a, go, girl. She's a strong fucking woman. I mean... Like I said, she said, like, you know, they're being nice, only wanting money. Like, what a nice fucking lady. I'm honestly, like, having a panic attack just thinking about it because. <laughs> I can see your breathing is getting faster and heavier. You're like, wow, okay. Um, yeah, that is. I don't know. And that is so weird that she was still being so nice. Like, she's literally being held at gunpoint, pra- you know, practically held at gunpoint. Yeah. And she's like, they're totally nice robbers just give me this money please call the police fyi yeah so you know right well she actually told them not to call the police because her kids were in danger and i mean i think she just wanted to let somebody know so that like i don't know i don't know why i couldn't find anything that said like why she was like please don't alert the authorities or, like, at least don't have the police coming in hot because my kids yeah. and my husband were all being held hostage. Um, I wonder if they, like, um, threatened her and said that if she did call the police or if she tipped anybody off in the bank that they would kill her family. Yes. Yes. I'm pretty sure that that's what happened. I mean, there were several articles that, that um, kind of said that. No, there was no direct quote. I mean, but, you yeah, know. especially because we can't hear from Jennifer, right, obviously. Right, But, you know, there was um, reports that said that she was not to let anybody know what was going on. So even her sliding that note over was a big risk. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She's super brave, and that was a really smart move. Right, and, I mean, in no time, the police were dispatched to the address um, in unmarked vehicles, and they proceeded to set up a perimeter around the house. And they hid behind the trees... Not far from the house. So I just want you to let this sink in, okay? Police were fucking there while this shit was going on. It gets worse. So I need you to put your big girl panties on because what I'm about to tell you is not easy to hear. Okay. Well, first, before we start, the police have been at my house outside in the trees. (laughs) And I would have never even known it if I hadn't been. No. Yeah. If I hadn't been, like, creeping on them through the garage windows. So, yeah, the police... Well, and just to be clear to everyone who's listening, the police were not raiding my house, but a couple of houses down. So, they well, we thought sneaky. We thought they did. We thought that maybe one of your neighbors thought that one of your tomato plants was a marijuana plant. So, we thought that maybe <laughs> they were coming to get you, but they weren't. I did. I really thought, because I was growing vegetables in my garage with grow lights, and I really thought that they thought that I was growing the devil's lettuce. Yep. And girl, if you were, they was coming to get you. They were. They had assault rifles and vests, and I was like, oh my gosh, I called Jordan, and I was like, you've got to get home right now. The police are here with guns. They're trying to get into my backyard, but... It's okay. It's just the U.S. Marshals looking for the guy next door. Yeah, that was fun to watch on Marco Polo. All right, so now, like, the police are setting perimeters. They're outside. um, And Joshua was inside the home at this point, raping Michaela as she lay tied to her bed. 
while the police were outside, he was assaulting and raping the youngest um, member of the Pettit family. Isn't that the one that they had always said were, that he had, like, pedophilia tendencies? Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's Oh, my God, that's horrible. Right. And, um... Ugh. In addition to that, he proceeded to take pictures of the assault and the rape of Michaela on his phone. What a sick piece of shit. Yeah, indeed. And so as Hayes and Jennifer returned to the house, like the police just let them go back into the house. Everybody pretended like nothing was going on. Um, Joshua mm-hmm. went downstairs and showed Hayes pictures that he had taken of Michaela during the rape, during the assault, and encouraged Hayes to do the same to Jennifer. And Hayes immediately pushes Jennifer down onto the living room floor and rapes her. Oh, my God. Like, this... So, he's not even, like, waiting. He just does it. Right. Like, this went from, like, zero to 100 real quick. Like, insane. And... These two are not thinking. They seem so impulsive to me. So impulsive. Not thinking at all. Not thinking clearly. Not making much sense. Complete live wires. Yes. Yeah. And... The worst part, not the worst part, but to me, this part is absolutely heartbreaking. Dr. Pettit could hear the thumping and moaning sounds caused by the rape of his wife. Mm. He yelled up and he heard one of the invaders say, Don't worry, it's all going to be over in a couple of minutes. It is so heartbreaking. Right. And then, at this point, like, Dr. Pettit is hearing the assault and rape of his wife he actually manages to escape through a screen in the basement. Go! Go, Bill, go! Right. And Joshua figures it out, tells Hayes during the rape, and Hayes completely loses his shit. Like, he completely, like, a a switch flips in him. He looks out the window, he sees an unmarked police car, and, like, seeing this, he just starts strangling Jennifer and he strangles her to death oh my god what kind of raw rage do you have to just like strangle someone that you don't even know like this isn't this isn't personal this wasn't like oh they're breaking in because he had some issue with these particular people he just snaps and strangles her after he had already snapped before what a psycho a complete psycho and poor Bill the father. He was so badly beaten. He was floating in and out of consciousness. He had escaped and he ran to the neighbor's house, um, but he could barely speak. And his neighbor came out and because he was so covered in blood, they didn't even recognize him. They called 911. Um, and Bill reported that a policeman appeared looking down at him holding a rifle. And he said he could barely speak, but he desperately tried to shout that his girls were still in the house. But it was too late at that point. No. Oh my god. This is heartbreaking. I know. This is so heartbreaking. I felt so happy whenever he escaped. I was like, yes, finally. I know. He's gonna go get help. Right. And then... And he can't even talk. Right. Mm. He can't talk. And even then, when he can, it's too late because his wife is already strangled to death. Oh my gosh. I, oh my God, the disparity. After fighting for your life for that hard and hearing. Right, all and those doing everything right. Your family. Yes, doing everything that you could. Right. <sighs> and so once Hayes kills Jennifer, he actually takes the gasoline can and pours gasoline all over her body and begins to douse as much of the home as he can um, with gasoline. This includes Haley and Michaela, who are still alive and tied to their beds with pillowcases over their heads. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is, like, a total nightmare. Like, right. completely nightmarish. Yeah. And he then lit the match and set the house ablaze and the rest of the Pettit family afire, too. So they, the little girls were still alive? Yes, they were still alive. When he alive. lit the match and set the house on fire? Yes. And so, the two perpetrators 
attempted to flee in the family car, but they barely made it down the driveway. They crashed into a police barrier at the end of it. Um, and they were detained immediately. Like, y'all knew that this was going to happen. Why even try to flee? I don't really know the methodology behind this, but it seems like the police were just out there and let all of this happen, almost. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. Don't worry. Like, why didn't they... Why didn't they rush in as soon as they got that call that there were people there whenever they saw him bringing her back into the house they could have rushed in you know and intercepted them or something well many people question why they didn't approach the car and arrest Hayes on the spot when he and Jennifer were coming back from the bank but police have reported that they believed that they were dealing with a hostage situation and therefore they didn't know how many perps they were dealing with or how many perps might be inside or the weapons they might have um, and they said that they were dispatched to the house and they were told by higher-ups not to enter the home, not to try and speak to Hayes as he got out of the car, and not to try to communicate with anyone inside the house as to not alert the perps to their presence. Instead, they were instructed to set up the perimeter and observe. I, there's just nothing. I mean, but there, what else are you going to do? Right. You know, because you don't know if you do storm in, if they're going to kill one of them or if they're... You know, if they're armed or you don't know how many of them there are in the house. I mean, it's just an impossible situation. Right. But by the time firefighters arrived at the scene, flames had completely engulfed the top floor of the house. And now we have three people dead in the home. Jennifer strangled in the living room while Haley and Michaela died of smoke inhalation upstairs. Hmm. Now, Haley actually managed to escape her restraints on her bed and run into the landing, but she was found collapsed at the top of the stairs, and Michaela was still tied to her bed. Um, the medical examiner could not determine if the bodies of the girls were burned before or after their deaths, so he doesn't know exactly, like, when they died of smoke inhalation, if they burned alive, or if their bodies were burned after they actually died. So they could have practically suffocated to death. Yes, they did. That's horrifying. Correct. And I do wonder if the police would have taken more of a a progressive approach. You know, could they have saved the lives of the two daughters? It might have been too late for Jennifer, you know, because she was strangled by Hayes as soon as he saw the unmarked police car. But the two daughters, they were still alive. Yeah. And in a different area of the house. It seems like we would have some type of special profession just for you know finding out how many people are in the house or dealing with hostages or like speaking with them over all the hostage situations that I've seen which have actually been quite a few in my day here in Austin (laughs) is that they usually have a negotiator he's got a megaphone he's saying the person's name you know but at the same time I don't know if those people had anyone in there with them or, you know, if it is a situation of hostages, if they start to say their name and then they could just kill everyone, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the solution is for that. Right. And this was 2007. So, I mean, pretty current, you know, not anything yeah. like, you know, like outdated. Um, Super recent. Right. So, after caught, both men tried to pin it on the other, of course. But Hayes did tell the detectives that after Joshua showed him the pictures of Michaela um, being raped and seeing the police car, he just snapped. But regardless of everything that happened, all he wanted out of this was money. They sound like two cats fighting in a pillowcase. (laughs) Right. And Josh admitted to following Jennifer and Michaela in the grocery store the previous day and then following them home. But he also said that the reason he targeted them was because they looked wealthy and they had a nice car. I'm going to upload the picture of them um, in the grocery store to our website. And they just look like two normal people. They don't look wealthy. They don't look like anything's, you know, like super special. They're not flaunting anything. They look normal. Just like a normal, happy mom and daughter. Josh actually did admit, though, to beating Bill with a baseball bat and raping Michaela. But when it came to burning down the house, with Jennifer and the girls still inside, he told detectives that it was all Hayes. He said that he questioned Hayes, saying, You can't seriously be contemplating burning these two girls alive. Um, 
But it's also reported that Joshua also blamed Dr. Pettit for the murders because in his diary, which was later entered into evidence during his trial, he called Dr. Pettit a coward and claimed that he could have saved his family if he wanted to. What? Mm-hmm. You literally beat this man into submission with a baseball bat, tied him up in the basement, and covered him up with blankets. Right. What else was he supposed to do? Right. Yeah, it sounds like he just, it sounds like he was completely involved, he knew how wrong he was, and he just didn't want to go to jail for murder. Like, he was okay with, you know, rape and assault, but didn't want to get pinned down for the murders. That's what it sounds like to me. Correct. Because originally, Hayes and Josh agreed to a plea bargain which would give them life in prison without the possibility of parole. But the defense presented the deal to the prosecution and they were like, "Mm mm-mm, neither man should have this option. And they wanted to pursue the death penalty in both cases. Mm, I'm not surprised. I mean, that that's a horrific, horrific crime. I mean, how old was the youngest? 11 years old? Yeah. I mean, to be raped and then burned alive in your own house or suffocated? Right. With smoke inhalation? After hearing everything, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm not saying that I support the death penalty, but I'm not surprised. Right, I agree. And Hayes' trial began in October of 2010, and his attorney told the jury that being given a life sentence would be the worst possible punishment for Hayes because even worse than being sentenced to death, he was tortured every day by his actions. But the jury came back with a verdict that said Hayes should be executed. They said, fuck that. Just because you're tortured yeah. by your own thoughts doesn't mean shit. You killed that these people. That sounds like such bullshit. Yeah. No. Like, if you were really going to be that tortured by your actions, then how come you just don't do it? Right. And in December of 2010, Hayes apologized to the Pettit family for the pain he had caused, and he said, death for me will be a welcome relief, and I hope it will bring some peace and comfort to those who I have hurt so much. And you know what? I just don't buy it. I don't believe it, and I I still think he's a complete piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that he is manipulative, and I think he knows exactly what he did. Right, and now we get to Josh's trial, which began in October of 2011. And during his hearing, he stood by what he said in his confession. And he said he never planned on killing anyone that night. And this is the one that raped Michaela. All right? Yeah. He added to um, his confession in court. He said, I will never find peace within myself. My life will be a continuation of the hurt that I have caused. The clock is now ticking. And I owe a debt I cannot repay. And I didn't buy it. I still don't buy it, and the jury didn't buy it either because they came back with a verdict that said he should also be executed. Like, honestly, who is buying these bullshit apologies? I'm sitting here, and I know nobody can see me, but I'm rolling my eyes so hard. Like, gag me, and nobody wants to hear it. Like, oh, you're so sorry. I bet, you know, the only reason that you're sorry is because you got caught. Right, exactly. Oh, exactly. Now, here is a really disheartening part so in the summer of 2015 connecticut actually abolished the death penalty meaning that the sentences of both men were commuted to life in prison so both right now are currently serving life sentences without the possibility of parole honestly i do feel like for them death is too easy yeah i I think that they should have to sit in their cells every single day and be denied basic freedoms because of the decisions that they made i agree but i think i just think that you know they got what they wanted and to me that is just so infuriating not that i am for the death penalty in any way shape or form but i don't like that they got what they wanted i know now i mean and it nobody comes out of this good yeah you know like what Right. What did you guys really accomplish from doing this? Right. You didn't get the money. You didn't even make it out of there. Like, you didn't make any smart decisions. Right. I mean, not that doing a B&E is smart in the first place, but there are smarter ways to do it than that. So get this. Joshua's defense team filed a motion that he should be granted a new trial. 
and they argued this on the basis that the trial should not have even taken place in Cheshire due to the media focusing so much on the murders. Yeah, well, they were really horrific and grisly. Why wouldn't they focus on the murders? Right, and they also said that Josh had been unjustly painted as the mastermind of the crime. When he said he really had no intention of murdering anyone, it was Hayes who strangled Jennifer and doused the girls with gasoline and set the house ablaze. It doesn't matter. It, you know, okay, at this point, it really doesn't matter whose intention was whose because you were there, you watched it happen, you let it happen. I mean, right. I think that goes for a lot of things in the world right now. If you watched it happen, you're just as guilty as the person who did it. So, yes. I don't want to hear your crap. You're Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I agree. And the judge denied the motion because he said he believed both men were equally complicit in the crimes. Hayes, on the other hand, never attempted to appeal his convictions, and he openly admitted that he was guilty and did not want to subject the family to another trial. Well, I mean, at least that's less of a dickish move. Less. Correct. <laughs> less. But you still killed his entire family, so right, you suck. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, these horrific crimes, you know, will haunt me because, I mean, just reading about the crimes, reading about the family and how good they were, I mean, even people who aren't good don't deserve to die, you know. But I think the biggest question here is, could the police have done something more or something more proactive to save the lives of Jennifer and her daughters? And I say absolutely. I mean, obviously, we're not law enforcement officers and we don't know, Correct. you know, all of the things that go into their jobs daily. And, and we were just talking about how we react in those type of situations. If I was a police officer, um, all I would do is freeze, like... <laughs> Every situation, every day. Like, if I pulled somebody over for a ticket, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I pulled you over. Can I please see your driver's license? Um, but <laughs> how hard does it have to be to sit out and just monitor and watch, you know, and not make any moves because that's what you've been told to do? Like, and you don't know what's going on in there. Especially if you're finding out, what kind of trauma do those police officers have to go through oh. knowing, you know, I sat out there in the street while this was happening Right, and I agree, and I didn't think about the other side of it, you know, the police officers and how they had, you know, the trauma that they have suffered too, you know, because I'm sure that a lot of them do feel guilt for not have done, not not doing more, you know, yeah. but I think the the bottom line of it is that the police arrived at the property by the time Jennifer and Hayes returned from the bank or literally seconds later. Because they were dispatched yeah. to the scene within minutes of the call from the bank manager. You know, so I guess, you know, and what I've been reading, especially on Reddit, you know, you can go down these deep holes, you know, is could they have done <laughs> oh, yeah. something more? Could they have taken a more proactive approach, like I've said before, you know, and really just gone in, you know, and yeah. done something about it? Hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can, you know, it's, like, easy to sit here and say, oh, we should have done this. But in 2007, like, have we not dealt with this enough now that people are right. crazy and they're breaking into places? And, and in 2007, do we not have any type of protocols to try to deal with this type of situation? Right. Or, or something other than, yeah, let's just sit here and observe and see what happens. You know, they could have had somebody you know, casing around the back of the house, looking into the windows, some type of situation. They, I I just feel like there was more that they could have done other than just sit and observe. I agree. But like you said earlier, we are not police officers and we don't know, but it's just so difficult to, to even imagine this kind of horror. And especially knowing, too, that if you you know, say you're feeling really strongly, like, I need to do this, I need to go and check this out, but your, you know, superiors are telling you that you can't, or your superiors are telling you that if you interfere that you're going to get in trouble or that you're going to lose your job and you are too afraid to do anything. And then because you didn't stand up to them or because you didn't do what you felt like you needed to do because you were afraid of your job, yeah. I think that's a big thing too. That's a, You know, I think that's a reason why some police officers don't, don't want to act 
out against superiors or against, you know, anything that's happening with, you know, in commonality because they're afraid of being um, reprimanded. Right. I agree. Which is a shame. It is a shame, but we can never know how they feel. Just like, you know, we can never know how anybody feels, you know. But I just think that something could have been done. And that's just yeah. my final that's my final thoughts on it. Something else could have been done, something more proactive, something, you know, to save these lives. These lives did not have to be lost and they were unfortunately. And it's just so sad and so horrific to think about. Does our opinion matter? No. Does it make okay. any difference? No. But should something different have been done? Yes. And if anybody out there is listening and you maybe have like experience with this or like some kind of insight into these kind of situations as law enforcement or um, in hostage situations or have any idea about something different that could have been done or maybe nothing differently could have been done and this is just the way that it was you know we'd love to hear any type of theories or any kind of explanation on this because this is obviously something that we don't want to happen again and you know as women I'm always thinking like what if I'm in this situation you know, what am I supposed to do? And I feel like if you see the police out there, you're like, oh, fine, you know, they're here to, to save me. Right. And then nothing happens. Right. That was heavy. It was a really jaw-dropping case. Yeah. It was intense for me to research and read about, especially since I have two daughters. Yeah. It made me feel sick. Yeah, and it's so senseless. Like, there's nothing... Nothing is worth a human life, especially not $15,000. But just to know that there are, like, there are those people out there that could be watching you, and they could be following you in Walmart. So you need to turn around and scream at them to get away from you. Right. <laughs> but even if you think, okay, so even as a woman, you're like, okay, so what can I do to not get murdered in this situation? There's nothing she could have done. She just went to the grocery store. That's so scary. I know. Absolutely frightening. It's terrifying. And I, God, I pray for this man because he has to live with this his whole life. This wasn't that long ago. Like, no. He's, he's still out there. And... Right. Actually, he just got, well, not just, but he got remarried, um, I think, in 2012. And they had a son. Oh. So he's trying to rebuild his life, you know, which I think is very brave and, you know, something worth, you know, noting. Well, since that was so incredibly heavy, do you have anything positive to tell us about this week? Um, yeah, I have several friends. Well, actually, two friends. I won't say several, but I have two friends who <laughs> have been listening to our podcast and have, like, nothing but good things to say and have been asking for more. So shout out to Lauren and Suge. I love y'all. I am so, so happy that y'all are enjoying this. Yeah, I appreciate their messages to you, too, because you send them to me, and uh, it's usually Skylar, who you call Shug, is usually like, where is the next episode? When are you guys putting it out? And then we're like, oh, yeah, we need to record another one. So, Skylar, keeping us on keeping us on schedule. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> and we've also had um, a lot of people following us on Instagram. Yes. We've had a lot of listeners. Um, we have some really great things coming up as well. Some things in the works that we'll uh, reveal or discuss later. Um, also, my sister has been a huge fan of the podcast, too. Every time she listens to an episode, she texts me the whole time um, and, and tells me about her favorite parts. And then she's also asking me, um, I think today she texted me and was like, when is the next episode coming out? Because I need it. So we're so happy that you guys are listening and that you enjoy. And if you guys have anything that you want to hear, any cases that you want to hear us discuss, any um, recommendations on cases, or have anything to say about this case, we would love to hear from you. So you can contact us at Gals and Gore on Instagram. Our email is galsandgore at gmail.com. And you can also visit us at galsandgore.wixsite.com, W-I-X-S-I-T-E. Yes, I'm going to post some photos on our website right now. Perfect. So you can see photos of that crazy guy looking like he got 
electrically shocked. <laughs> yeah. And yes. photos from other cases as well that we've covered. So yes. thanks for presenting this case this week. You did such a great job. Thank you, girl. I'm so excited to give it to you. You're so welcome. Hopefully our our audio equipment. <laughs> yeah, hopefully our recording equipment did better this time. We're still learning. Don't hate us or do. We don't really care. Be yourself. Stay safe. We love you, big snakes. You guys stay safe, and we're going to think of something equally as catchy as Crime Junkie, even though we will never be them because Ashley Flowers and Britt are two goddesses, two true crime goddesses who cannot be beat. I'll say that. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for listening to Gals and Gore. We'll be back next week with another spooky, gory, or horrible tale. Yes. To fill your need for gore. Thanks, boy! I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear that horse noise? <laughs> Just make it. <laughs> Get it out, Lassie. Get it out. Lassie's a dog. <laughs> wow, you need to brush up on your American literature. <laughs> <laughs>